Big news for Bitcoin as we see Bitcoin hitting some of its lowest volatility on record. We also have some interesting revelations out of BlackRock analysts. I also want to discuss with you some really big investments, making money by investing in the future, basically, and some of the biggest investments and trends that we're going to see in technology throughout this decade. Early buyers will get too rich. It's true. It's true. I hope it's true anyway. And also, I want to discuss with you WorldCoin, the Orwellian dystopian WorldCoin, as well as the coming CBDC nightmare. So it's going to be an upbeat podcast, an upbeat conversation today with you so make sure to stick around for all of the goods excited to see all of you here of course and we're gonna be diving into some great conversations today so let's go ahead and get it let's start with this the big news right now for bitcoin is the utter lack of volatility, which makes me think we're probably in for some volatility in the not-so-distant future. But have a look here at this chart. This shows the Bollinger Band width currently down at 20. This is one of the lowest, if not the lowest, recorded reading for the Bollinger Band width on the weekly charts in Bitcoin's history. In fact, I think the previous low was 21. So that means, essentially, that we are in a period of very, very low volatility. And of course, as you have known, if you've been around the space for the last few weeks and you haven't been in a coma or sleeping on the beach or something like that, Bitcoin's price has done almost nothing for six weeks now. Complete lack of volatility. Daily trading ranges within the hundreds of dollars sometimes. Absolute craziness. That means that volatility is coming sooner than later doesn't necessarily mean it's upside volatility. Upside volatility would be fantastic. It could be downside volatility, depending if we get some shock from the Fed tomorrow, for example. But let's say everyone right now is expecting the Fed to raise interest rates tomorrow by another 0.25%. What if they don't? What if the Fed comes out and says, hey, you know what? Enough's enough. Inflation's down enough. We're not going to raise rates again. <laughs> in that situation, things get pretty exciting pretty quickly, and that could be upside volatility for Bitcoin. But one thing is sure is that volatility will be coming. This is what the Bollinger Bands tell us. The Bollinger Bands basically imagine like a rubber band getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until it just snaps. We're getting close to the snapping point. Don't know how long it's going to be exactly, but we're getting close for sure. I want to share this with you as well. Fundstrat Global Advisors, Bitcoin get to $108,000 for next year's halving as BlackRock's ETF will drive demand. Now, this prediction by Fundstrat has been shared around a few times already. $180,000 before next year's Bitcoin halving. That's a big, big call. As Kevin points out here, if that were to happen... He says, is Tom Lee out of his mind? If that were to happen, Bitcoin would basically need to go straight up from here until the halving. I mean, we're at $30,000. Now we're going to add $150,000 to the price of Bitcoin in seven, eight months. Sounds great. Makes a good headline, of course. Gets Fundstrat's name in the papers. People love big, bold price predictions from uh, these different investment firms. 
$580,000, in my opinion, is not a super realistic prediction. I'm not saying it can't happen because this is crypto. One thing that I've definitively learned about crypto is that anything can happen. However, it doesn't seem very likely it would break the four-year cycle, which the four-year cycle will get broken at some point. It's been an interesting model so far, but at some point, the four-year cycle will become completely invalid. However, this would break the four-year cycle, maybe earlier than it would break. The BlackRock ETF, if it gets approved, is probably going to be quickly followed by the Invesco ETF, the ARK ETF, the Fidelity ETF, the Bitwise ETF whoever else is trying to get an ETF, somebody else will probably come in and get an ETF. It'll be an ETF party. That'll be very exciting. And we'll see more institutional money come in via these ETF products. But the major amount of ETFs, we do have our first potential refusal from the SEC in about three weeks. That's for ARC's ETF. The final decision time period for the ARC ETF, I think is December. Most of the Bitcoin ETFs that are in right now, they have their final approval or denial date in March next year, which is right around the time of the Bitcoin halving. The SEC could draw this out for a while. They don't have to immediately approve a Bitcoin ETF. I know we all got very excited. I'm still very excited about the potential for Bitcoin ETF to pump all of our bags. But I am not so certain about 180K by the end of the year. I would love to be proven wrong. I will just put this out there. If Tom Lee at Fundstrat is right and we do get $180,000 Bitcoin this year or before the Bitcoin having maybe he gets January or February next year. You know, you know. I'm here for that. I'm here for being wrong and Bitcoin blast into 180K before the Bitcoin having. I'm all about it. I just don't think it's the most likely scenario, to be honest. But hey, Crazier things have happened without a doubt in these markets. Now, before we get into some of the other things from BlackRock, as well as some of the big things affecting the market this week, just a quick reminder, if you are a trader, you need yourself an account over there on Bybit. It's the best place for trading cryptos at. So if you want to long Bitcoin, if you want to short Bitcoin, it is the place for you to do it. They've got great spot markets as well for their altcoins. And of course, very popular copy trading. Use that link down below in the description. Get up to $30,000 in trading and deposit bonuses. So check it out if you are a trader. Now let's take a look at this chart here. This is from Bar Chart. They said the S&P 500 right now is trading 12.2% above its 200-day moving average and is clearly overbought with RSI currently over 70. However, and this is very, very interesting. So listen up. However, since 1970, eight of the 12 times that the S&P 500 was 12% above its 200-day moving average, it ended up trading to 20% higher. That's according to data from Fundstrat. So that's historical-looking data from Fundstrat. Not crazy price predictions about 180K Bitcoin before the Bitcoin halving, which, hey, maybe they're right, but uh, I don't think it's the most likely scenario. This is them looking at historical data and saying this is what has happened previously. So it's very interesting. So even though the S&P 500 is 12% above the 200-day uh, moving average, people are saying, well, it's all overbought. Things, there's too much greed in the stock market right now. We need to cool off, man. Historically, it hasn't cooled off. Historically, markets have rallied another 20 damn percent or up to 20%. So we shall see. We shall see. There could be some more fuel in the tank here for the tech rally that has been going on in the stock markets because it is a tech-led rally. 
by all means. And I think the decade will continue to see a tech led rally for really all markets. But uh, that's a, a different conversation right there. But a bullish stock market could do well for the crypto markets because it means that a risk on attitude continues. And while we've seen all these stocks hit new all time highs or they hit new 52 week highs and all this kind of stuff, mm, you know, crypto has been really lagging behind, partially probably because of the SEC and all that, all that malarkey going on there. This is an interesting British HODL shared this. Three analysts at BlackRock published a study on Bitcoin back in 2022. The study concluded that the most ideal optimal risk versus reward portfolio is heavily Bitcoin. 85% Bitcoin, 9% stocks, 6% bonds. That's very different from the 60% bonds, 40% stock portfolio that's often bantered about as being like the safe allocation. And even... Here in the crypto space, more specifically, we've talked very uh, quite a bit about what's a good allocation for the average Joe Blow investor who wants to get some exposure to Bitcoin, but still wants to maintain some of their traditional portfolio. Even 1% allocation to Bitcoin has seen that 60-40 portfolio holder significantly outperform the 60-40 portfolio. So they do 59-40, for example, or... 59.5 and 39.5, just 1% Bitcoin allowed them to dramatically outperform other people holding the same kind of portfolio. An allocation of 2, 3, 4, 5% saw dramatically outsized returns for investors by only getting exposure to Bitcoin, nothing else in the crypto space. Throw some Ethereum or something in there, you're going to get even bigger potential returns. But just Bitcoin, so maximum 5% portfolio risk, 60% bonds, 40% stocks. So maybe you dial that down to 57.5 and 37.5, 5% into Bitcoin, dramatically larger returns came in for investors in this situation while only risking 5% of their portfolio. Though these analysts from BlackRock say, saying basically just... Ape, ape hard, ape into Bitcoin, ape like there's no tomorrow. You got to wonder about the BlackRock game here. Now, these are just analysts from BlackRock. This is not Larry Fink coming out and saying ape into Bitcoin, guys, although he's kind of insane, ape into Bitcoin, guys, just not in a much more subtle way, right? The Larry Fink kind of way of saying ape into Bitcoin. But it is pretty interesting to think about. I mean, global wealth. Hundreds of trillions of dollars, even a tiny percentage of that money coming into the markets is going to be big. But I would also just like to reiterate here, BlackRock is not to be trusted. BlackRock is a market manipulator, right along with JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. And seeing all these guys, all these organizations pumping up Bitcoin, talking about Bitcoin, I mean, it's such a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's like, yeah, cool, BlackRock's here. And they they launched their Bitcoin fund for the private clients last year. Very convenient that they did that before even trying to pursue a Bitcoin ETF for the retail public. I mean, I guess they need their exit liquidity when the time comes, right? BlackRock's smart. They know how to play the game. But here we go. BlackRock's here. All these institutions are here. They know how to manipulate markets. They have a long history of manipulating markets. I mean, look at JP Morgan, experts at manipulating markets. They manipulated metal markets and Forex markets and basically every market around the world. And I have not forgotten about that cocaine boat, JP Morgan, the billion dollars in cocaine in that boat. Come on, come on. We, 
The internet does not forget, my friends. Anyway, these organizations coming in, exciting, bags in a pump, probably not to 180K by the end of the year, like Fundstrat seems to think is some kind of possibility, but it will pump when those Bitcoin ETF approvals start coming through and we will see big demand coming in from institutional players and the people whose money goes into the funds at BlackRock and Fidelity and other places. So definitely, definitely something to keep our eyes on as investors because it is a major market moving event. Interesting too, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson finally admits that we were wrong about 2023's stock market rally. Now, Mike Wilson has been saying basically all year, sky's falling, everything's going to go down. He's refusing to throw in the towel saying that, yeah, well, you know, I'm not a bull now. It's less time to be a bull, right? Markets have rallied significantly and we might see markets go on to get a new all I'm high, but after such a big rally, irrational bullishness becomes actually a riskier proposition if we're talking about how markets actually work, right? Though it is interesting to see some of the biggest bears on Wall Street finally capitulating, but is it all psyops? I have to wonder sometimes. Everything's psyops, guys. U.S. consumer confidence hitting a two-year high, although recession fears do linger. This is something very interesting because in spite of the best efforts by the Federal Reserve to crush the economy, to crush small businesses, to make you lose your job, to make you lose your home, to make you lose your car, to make you lose your kids, to make you lose your dog, to make you lose everything and sleep under a bridge. That was Jerome Powell's intention. Basically what they said, we have to cause some pain in the economy. Pain in the economy means all that stuff for you. Not for Jerome Powell. I mean, he's getting he's getting paid big time. Not for his buddies. You know, the richest district, richest neighborhood in the world is just outside of Washington, D.C. Funny that, huh? Where'd all that money come from for those people? It's your money in their pockets. Anyway, I digress. The economy in the USA remains stubbornly resilient. The equity markets remain stubbornly resilient. And we are on, of course, the eve of the Federal Reserve looking to raise interest rates once again, potentially to a 22-year high from 5 to 5.25%. That is what everybody is expecting tomorrow. Everybody's expecting that, that raise to come in and for another hit for the interest rates. Although... We'll be watching very closely, although the market is currently pricing like a 99% chance that there's going to be a 0.25% increase to the interest rates tomorrow. The interesting thing is, is that we could potentially, people are starting to speculate, speculation, people are starting to speculate that tomorrow could be the final interest rate hike. Although the Fed has previously said expect two more interest rate hikes of 25 basis points or 0.25% each, which will bring us up to 5.5%. Tomorrow could be the last one, realistically. Inflation came down another percentage point last month from 4 to 3%. What happens next month if inflation comes down another percentage point or a half percentage point? I mean, if it comes back down to 2% next month, and it could, we've had two months now of dramatic drops for the inflation rate. So if inflation comes down again next month, dramatically so, the excuse 
the reasoning behind the Fed bringing in yet another interest rate hike wouldn't even make that much sense. And so if the Fed, if Jerome Powell signals or seems to indicate more dovish language, maybe he doesn't say, well, we're not going to raise next month if X, Y, and Z happen. He's probably not going to say it like that. But even if he says some more lighthearted comments around a future raise or potentially slowing down, aka pausing rate hikes, that could put the sales back in the market, send the S&P 500 up to a new all-time high, the NASDAQ up to a new all-time high, and Bitcoin probably to keep ranging at $30,000 forever, forever, because that's what it does. Now, I want to switch up conversations here. I want to talk with you about the biggest opportunity of our lifetimes financially to make a fortune by investing on the future. Because the way I look at it right now, my opinion, what I'm seeing at the moment is that this decade is probably going to be one of the most insane decades ever in terms of being an investor in these markets and making crazy amounts of freaking money as an investor in these markets. There are so many different sectors that have this potential technologically to revolutionize the world that we're in right now. And for investors who are getting in there to make huge amounts of money. This is AI, this is crypto, this is electronic vehicles, this robotics, as well as other technologies, which you can't really invest in per se, but do have massive impact potential on how they're going to affect and change society, like CBDCs, as an example, and many others that are coming. Serious disruption to our way of life is coming. Economies are going to be reshaped dramatically in a way more dramatic than we've seen at all in our lifetimes thus far. And look, if you're if you're a millennial like me, you've seen wild change, wild change. Now, if you're like 18 or 19 and you're watching this, shout out to the 18, 19 year olds watching the broadcast. You guys are switched in and well ahead of your peers. I will tell you that right now. So if you're investing in this space. Slay it, guys. Slay it. Make that make that cheddar. Now, the thing is, you've grown up in a world where we have the internet, for example, and we have social media and all this stuff. Me, back in the 90s, dial-up internet, man. I remember my first internet connection was web TV. Shout out to anybody who remembers what the hell web TV is. We plugged an internet box into your television and... It had like green text on the screen and it's pretty, pretty low tech, but it worked. It worked. It worked. It was a good time. I was wheeling and dealing Star Wars and magic cards when I was like 13, 14. It's a great time. But that was the internet back then. Somebody could be on the internet, but you couldn't use the phone at the same time because you're using the phone line, the land line, the thing connected into the wall. I feel like a grandpa here talking about this stuff. Jeez. But well, we've gone from that to supercomputers in your pocket, a.k.a. mobile phones. We have artificial intelligence technology that's already here and operational that is crazier than anything a lot of us could have imagined 10, 15 years ago. Payments, I mean, crypto, geez, crypto's less than 15 years old. And Bitcoin, of course, just being the first one, Ethereum's seven years old, something like that. It's really only been highly functional and operational and useful for four or five years. 
we're still really early on this technology. And much in the same, if you went back to the 90s and you were heavily investing into, you know, Amazon and Apple and whatever other early technologies were coming out back then. And of course, a lot of them went to zero, as we see with the altcoin space, a lot of them will go to zero. But some of those early investments went on to make unbelievable gains for investors over a 20 year period. But here's the difference is that the technology curve, the adoption curve of technology is moving so much faster. 20 years ago, things moved a lot slower because we didn't have the advantage of the last 20 years that have happened, the 2000s where all this technology has spread, where everybody's got the internet in their pockets now, where everybody has this massive connectivity across social media, across financial apps, the ability to send money, receive money, to buy things, to spread messages and all this stuff instantaneously around the world. It's a very powerful thing. And it means that the technology that is coming after forward for the next, well, seven years of this particular decade that we're in the 2030s, I think will be a very watershed moment for our society. The, the 2030s, when they happen, will be the really the rollout of this technology across the world will be massive. The time to be an investor is like now, and it's very exciting. And of course, there's always going to be fun, exciting stuff to invest in. There's always going to be money to be made and all this stuff. But I think technologically, this is an incredibly exciting time to be living in the world because much in the same way that we go back again to my analogy from my story from the 90s where I was a young kid growing up and then it was like the dark ages one day and then we got the freaking internet, man, and everything changed. Everything changed. The way I thought about the world, my connectivity to the world, my, I had friends on chat groups in Finland and Sweden and it was crazy. That kind of mass awakening moment technologically is here with artificial intelligence and crypto and a few other things. And those investment potentials can be pretty damn big, if you ask me anyway. So, for example, let's talk a little about, about AI, just a few of the big ones, a few of the big ones here. So, uh, price Waterhouse Cooper, so they say global artificial intelligence in their study. So they say this could be a $15.7 trillion potential contribution to the global economy by 2030, up to a 26% boost in GDP for local economies from AI by 2030. 300 plus use cases identified and rated are captured in their AI impact index. Yo, that's big. That's big. That's a lot of money. 26% GDP boost from just AI. So that means the companies, the tech stocks, or even some of the crypto coins, there's quite a few crypto coins, some AI crypto coins that are actually doing things. You know, we have Render, which is a decentralized computing network. We have some other bigger AI players out there, whether it be uh, Fetch or Singularity, and like they're actually doing stuff. Now, I can't comment on the token price or tokenomics or any of that stuff, but these are companies that are actually doing things. So they are potential players if you want to go crypto route to getting AI exposure. If you want to go the equity route to getting AI exposure, there's probably a lot more opportunities there to invest in more uh, salient, real technology and companies. But I think we're going to see an AI bubble 
where we have a lot of crap companies. AI.com, the company, it'll be like the pets.com. They won't really do anything, and then they're going to go bust. We'll have lots of that kind of stuff. But we're also going to have the next Amazons and all these kind of things that are going to take off and be the next big players. Companies that may not have even been launched yet, they're going to be launched over the next four, five, six, seven years. But AI is going to be massive. And it's a massive opportunity for early investors to get in on. And this is interesting. So this uh, coming from uh, an article over here on LinkedIn said a joint report published by Dell and the Institute of the Future states that 85% of all jobs that will exist in 2030 have not been invented yet. That's insane. And this, I think, comes back to one of our core fears about AI is that it's going to take, AI is going to take my job or take our job, took my job, took my job. Yeah, AI is going to take a lot of people's jobs, a lot of people's jobs. However, it's going to take away boring, mundane jobs that people probably hate doing anyway and allow people to do more interesting jobs, different jobs, maybe live more of their real life passions versus digging ditches or flipping burgers at McDonald's or some other stuff. It's going to be a bit of a, a learning process for everybody as people need to reskill for the new economy. And by the time you're done reskilling, technology might have already replaced your skill. It's going to be hard. But it's going to be a crazy period as well, which is why investing in this space becomes so exciting because you don't have to worry about necessarily retraining yourself for a new job. You can just invest in the companies that are going to take everyone's jobs. That's one way to do it, which takes me on to talking about electric vehicles. So EVs can make up more than a third of the global car sales by 2030. That estimate, by the way, is based on current realities of um, legislation. So this envisages that in China, we're going to see 62% of car sales in 2030 be electric. In Europe, 58%. In the USA, 50%. Worldwide average will be 35% at the time. India, 15%. And the rest of the world will be 10%. So it's pretty interesting numbers. Now, some countries, for example, they have already legislated for electric vehicles that by 2025 or 2030, only electric vehicles will be sold in our geographies. So you have some of that, right? Not everywhere. We might see more announcements over the next four or five years, and that makes it even a bigger potential for the electric vehicle market. And electric vehicles are very exciting. I own an EV. I love my EV. I got a Tesla. Absolutely great car. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. But what's even more interesting about electric vehicles, I mean, yeah, they're nice and clean, of course, depending on where you source your initial electricity from this is one of those weird conversations where you're like yeah, okay i've got an electric vehicle but we're powering it with a coal-powered power plant slightly problematic see where i live we actually have um the city almost exclusively powered by uh wind and hydro energy so it's actually a great thing to have an ev because it's no no emissions coming out of the car no emissions from electricity yeah okay i know you still need some kind of stuff to create anything you need to get you to dig the the steel out of the ground to make whatever. I get it. You can't create anything without destroying something else. I understand this. But think from the EV perspective, all these EVs on the road, Tesla's self-driving technology is only getting better. You can now use Tesla self-driving technology to um, be able to drive in the cities. 
And if you have Tesla self-driving technology for city driving, that opens up the potential for every Tesla or every car using Tesla's self-driving software. And I see that a major car company uh, just announced that they're going to be integrating that recently. That allows for everybody's car to become a robo-taxi. That's a big implication. We're talking about changing of our cities. Our city's infrastructure can change. Suddenly, your car can just drive back home. Doesn't need to park somewhere where it's going to be charged $100 or $50 or whatever it's going to be to park your car for the day. Just go back home. Our cities are going to change. The way we make money is going to change. And yeah, we're going to need to do a lot of things in order to get to the stage. We've got to upgrade our grids and bring in more energy and probably going to need a lot more nuclear energy, all this stuff. These are all problems to be solved. We are a pretty clever species. If you haven't noticed by now, we will solve some of these problems. And perhaps one of the biggest revolutions that is going to take a lot of this is going to take our jobs. I just got my job. My job. I got my job. <laughs> it's all getting a pile of dudes, guys. All right. Um, <clears throat> seriously, though. One of the things that's really, really going to take people's jobs is going to be the advent of self-driving semi-trucks. Huge implication for electric vehicles and self-driving technology because you're not going to need to have truck drivers anymore who can only legally drive, what, 10 or 12 hours a day. You can have a, a self-driving truck that can drive 24 hours a day. Suddenly, you don't need to pay a driver fifty dollars to $100,000 a year. I don't know what truck drivers can pay that imagine. It should be pretty well, though. Let's say $100,000 a year. Is that $100,000 a year job? You don't need to pay those guys anymore. You also don't need to buy expensive diesel anymore. You can charge up your semis with cheaper electric. So this becomes a revolution in transportation, which has a deflationary effect on the economy. It means that the consumer goods that you can purchase can be cheaper. It means that packages can arrive to your house quicker. It means that food can arrive to your, your local supermarket fresher and quicker and cheaper. It's a revolution. And it's going to take away hundreds of thousands to millions of jobs. I remember seeing a statistic somewhere that something like 10% uh, of jobs in the United States exist around the uh, trucking industry. And look, we're still going to need trucking engineers, at least for a while until robots take that over. We're still going to need trucking engineers to change tires and replace batteries and all these kind of things. But a revolution is coming and it's going to make a lot of money for early investors. <clears throat> Just going to say that. Uh, robotics as well. This is going to be a $500 billion industry by 2030. That's according to the guys over at Global Data. Tesla, of course, getting into the robot game as well. I know they're pretty clunky right now, but I have faith that the world's richest man is going to get some pretty sweet robots out here for us at some point. These are early iterations of the technology, but the technology right now is here for the artificial intelligence. It's here for the self-guiding, and it might be early stages, but we're going to have these domestic robots working in factories, working in people's homes, and all this kind of stuff sooner than you realize. And Tesla's not going to be the only company doing it. There's lots of companies doing that. Robotics are going to absolutely explode everything. We're going to have delivery drones and all that kind of stuff. This is the future that's coming. And again, you can invest in that future or not invest in that future. In the same way, you can look back, people who invested in the future of electric vehicles back when Tesla first came out made a killing. 
And of course, Tesla and other companies will go on to get even bigger still. Then we have things like new technologies, new therapies, uh, new uh, cures for diseases. This is something I think is a very, very interesting niche of new technology that's developing. Tony Robbins wrote a great book on this recently. Um, gosh, the name eludes me right now. But it's Tony Robbins' new book. I think it's called Life Force, actually. Fantastic book. He goes over and talks about all these new technologies that are coming out. And some of this stuff is like mind-blowing technologies. And in the book, he says, basically, if you can live another 10 to 20 years, your chances of living much exponentially longer are becoming much more real because the technology is moving so fast in terms of therapeutics and just curing diseases and catching diseases early and all these kind of things. It's a very exciting time, once again, to be alive. It's something that back in the 90s, we simply didn't have. I mean, yeah, great. Medicine back in the 90s is a lot better than medicine back 100 years ago. But medicine today and where medicine is going to be in 10 years is going to look nothing like medicine of the year 2000. ARC's research says that Precision therapies could appreciate 20 at a 29% annual rate. 29% annual rate. Yo, 500 billion in 2022 to 3 trillion by 2030. And what's that put it at by 2040? Not going to be that old by 2040. My investments could still be in my pocket, making me truckloads of money. I actually don't have much exposure stock wise to. Uh, therapeutics right now. I own some CRISPR stocks. I own some uh, ARC stocks as well that are exposed to this. Um, but I'd like to get some more. I think it's a very interesting, interesting area of investment potential. Something I've been looking at a little bit more. The robotics and all stuff, that's fun, right? But curing the world's diseases, helping people live 20, 30, 40 years more and in good health. How much would people pay for that? crazy amounts of money. And of course, we got to talk about crypto because we want to talk about making money in the future. It's crypto, baby. We know this. We know it. Crypto is one of the fastest horses. ARK Invest coming out again with their $1.5 million Bitcoin price prediction. I love it, Kathy. Kathy, the relentless Bitcoin bull. I totally dig it. Now, how does she get to such a wild number for Bitcoin by 2030? By 2030, well, I like their Bitcoin price target math here. So in the most bearish case, they see Bitcoin getting to a quarter million dollars by 2030. So if my Bitcoin, which is worth $30,000 today, gets to a quarter million dollars by 2030, I'm pretty happy with that. That's what, like an 8x or something from here. I'll take it. It's cool. That's fine. Their base case. Right, the neutral case here, $680,000 Bitcoin by 2030. 2030 is not that far away, guys. Six years. I mean, come on. Come on. You can't hold an investment for six years. <sighs> Kids these days. No, I look, if you need to sell your Bitcoin in the next cycle, that's fine. In fact, I'll probably take a little bit of Bitcoin profits off and then sling it back into Bitcoin back at the uh, next market bottom. But that's a swing strategy, right? Their bull case, of course, $1.48 million for Bitcoin by 2030. Now, that assumes that we are going to see Bitcoin rise to prominence in global remittances, that we are going to see nation-state treasuries adding Bitcoin, that we're going to see it as an emerging market currency. Now, that could see a role in the BRICS nations. That could see a role beyond countries like El Salvador, for example, where we're already seeing it actually starting to operate. Uh, maybe we're going to see more prominence for Bitcoin in Africa, for example. 
We're going to see a rise of Bitcoin as an economic settlement network, probably at layer two, using the Lightning Network. We're going to see more institutional investment. I mean, look at BlackRock, look at that news. We see the institutional investment narrative building up. We see the digital gold narrative building up, et cetera, et cetera, corporate treasuries. So the math to get to $1.5 million Bitcoin, it's not that crazy considering there's only 2.2 million Bitcoin currently available on all exchanges for sale in that just... But 70, $80 billion is going to buy all of that Bitcoin, which like for BlackRock and Fidelity and Invesco and all these companies is like a drop in the bucket of money. It's not even that much. You know, family offices, Middle Eastern shakes, everybody and their mom is going to want some Bitcoin. And the total amount of addresses just keeps going up. Total amount of Bitcoin exchanges just keeps going down. The technology keeps being adopted. Exciting times for cryptocurrency holders. And of course, we're going to have other things that like uh, Elon Musk's new X application, which he wants to make into a giant payments app. He said he thinks he can capture half of the world's financial activity, which is pretty damn bullish, Elon. Uh, I don't think they're going to let you do that. Remember, they shut down Facebook because they thought, well, Facebook's going to have too much power. So I don't know how much elon's going to be allowed to do with his x app but he certainly has big intentions for it and i think crypto is going to be a part of that everyone of course speculating on dogecoin being a part of that i think we see bitcoin become a part of that probably some other cryptocurrencies and that brings in hundreds of millions of users and of course if his plans for x do move forward as he wants them to the user base of twitter well the artist formerly known as twitter now known as x is going to be a lot bigger than the 400 million monthly active users that it currently has. So there you go. Lots of exciting times. This is what I'm looking at. This is where a lot of my money is, is going. A lot of my focus is going on these kinds of investments in electric vehicle technology and medical technology and crypto technology, obviously giant crypto portfolio. But that crypto money will slowly but surely over time migrate its way over into equity stock money, tech stock. So that's where I'll be looking to put some of those profits, especially during the next bull run. Now let's change tack a little bit and talk about, well, new world order coin, the World Economic Forum coin, the Orwell coin that has just been released by the founder of OpenAI, Sam Altman. He's also got a crypto coin and it's called World coin and they've got this sweet little orb thing that they scan your eye with and if you give if you scan your eye they give you some sweet tokens <sighs> somewhere wherever orwell's buried he's rolling over at his grave isn't he just going like i warned you guys about this why did nobody read the books come on <laughs> uh, but look Digital IDs are coming and how we do our digital IDs is going to really be important because look, OpenAI and ChatGPT, I mean, ChatGPT has already shown itself to have strong political biases built into the uh, machine. If we think about the potential for, well, WorldCoin and its iris scanning and the ability to really catalog all the people in the world, which of course they're already doing in a lot of ways. Let's be real about that. But it seems just such an Orwellian project 
now look, it's very easy to say, hey, look, this is definitely World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab kind of stuff right here. And look, a lot of people, at least in the crypto community, and I, I imagine if we ask outside of the crypto community, if you say, hey, can I have 50 bucks to scan your eye? Basically, everybody and their mom would line up to give us that scan, unfortunately. But at least in the crypto community, 48% of people saying, no, it's an invasion of privacy. I'm not going to do it. Only 15% saying, yeah, I like money. Scam my eye. Give me the cash. Let's do it. Which is fair. Everybody's allowed to make their own decision when it comes to this kind of stuff. And of course, 37% of people saying, hey, Orwell tried to warn us that we didn't listen. We didn't listen. Or we did listen. But the, unfortunately, we did listen. And the smart people, you guys listening to this, listen and go, went, wow, that's a big warning. We should be afraid of uh, big tech tyranny. And then big tech and big government all got together and went, oh, this is like a handbook on how to dominate society and screw people over. It's not the message that 1984 was trying to, to send out politicians. Come on. Uh, I like Raul Powell's thoughts on this here as well. He said on WorldCoin, uh, no view on the token, but 60% of the people on here already use Apple Face ID. 90% gave all your private data to Google and Meta. He's absolutely right. And you gave it to them for free. At least WorldCoin's going to give you some money for your iris scan. These other guys just took your data and sold it off to third parties. And of course, keep your passwords and email addresses and phone numbers and all that stuff on crappy centralized data banks that get hacked all the time. And all your data gets leaked onto the dark web. And oh, it's a good time, isn't it? It's a good time. Uh, Raul says you also have a passport, global entry, credit card, mobile phone. Everything's captured on CCTV all the time. You have medical records, et cetera, all that being centralized. It says also India rolled out retina and fingerprint scans for payments a few years ago. And it's pretty incredible. You can literally buy a pint of milk with just a fingerprint, no phone, no wallet, no cash. It is possible right now in India, which is pretty cool. We definitely need digital ID for humans urgently. And WorldCoin is just one answer. There'll be many, but it is vital. The next step is fully decentralized versions with, uh, versions with ZK-proof technology. And I think that privacy technology becomes absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. But WorldChain is another example of how blockchain changes everything and how it gets to 1 billion people. And he's right. He's right. Look. The reality is, is that a lot of people already give out a lot of information to a lot of tech companies and basically everything is already known about you. So for the niche of privacy enthusiasts who only own Monero and don't want to have their iris scanned, it's a tricky proposition because anytime you go through an airport, they scan your iris, don't they? Yeah, they take the face scans. They take the pictures. They know who you are. It's hard to escape this technological tyranny that we have built for ourselves around the world. And the world governments do want to know where you are, what you're doing, who you're hanging out with, what you're saying on the internet, where you're spending your money. It's all part of the same stuff. It's all part of the same stuff. But much like BlackRock coming into crypto, the fringe benefit of something like WorldCoin, if it does get adopted, if it does take off, is that, hey, at least it gets a bunch of people in a blockchain. And they'll come in and they'll get their 50 free bucks of WorldCoin and uh, then hopefully dump it and buy Bitcoin. That'd be great. That'd be great. Here for that. I'm here for that. That'd be fantastic, I guess. The reality is, though, we do need digital IDs, but we need digital IDs that are not going to basically put digital slavery onto everybody. We need digital IDs that are protected with 
technological privacy features. We need digital IDs that are really decentralized and not in the hands of governments. So is WorldCoin the answer to that? I don't know. I don't know enough about WorldCoin to say if it is or not. But certainly these technological advances will hopefully push us in the right direction. Hopefully enough people make their opinions known that, hey, I'm all about having a digital ID, but I don't want to sign up for digital slavery. Slavery on the blockchain. That's the real innovation, guys. Aye, 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 aye. Uh, as Kyle points out here, let's experiment. Participate if you want. Don't participate if you don't want. Uh, that's responding to Chris Berniski's tweet that not informed enough to have an opinion on all the nuances of WorldCoin, but I will say that's a new at-scale experiment being run on blockchain systems, part of a new product cycle that would come even more clear in the 2024 and 2025. And he's right. And he's right. We will see a lot of new iterations of different technologies coming out on top of blockchains. And really, you do need a blockchain to have something like WorldCoin on. You need a privacy-preserving blockchain. You need the kind of blockchain technology that allows for you to have complete privacy and control over your data, but allow for verifiable authenticity. So I give the beer example. You want to be able to walk into a bar and have the blockchain prove that you are you and you are 21 without needing to hand your driver's license over to the bartender who might be a creep and who remembers your name and address and stalks you on Facebook later or looks at if you have an address on your driver's license shows up at your house at two in the morning. I mean, not saying that's happened to me, but probably to somebody somewhere, right? Those are the kind of privacy concerns you have though. Whereas with the blockchain, it would just you come in, scans your eyeball or your fingerprint or whatever. And it just says, this person is who they say they are and they are of the legal age to drink. Interesting. These are the kind of technological advances that are going to be a positive thing, but it's so easy to get it wrong. It's so easy to get it wrong, and we know everything we know about the last few years in human society and what governments and major corporations have done. I don't trust them. You shouldn't either. Now, before we talk about CBDCs, the pinnacle of slave money, <clears throat> just a quick reminder, if you're not signed up to the Wealth Master newsletter yet, check it out. It is the best newsletter in crypto. Every single issue jam-packed, full of value. We talk about altcoins. We talk about DeFi. We talk about airdrops. And some of these airdrops have made some serious money, folks. So check it out. It is free three times a week to your inbox. Link in the description where you can join over 75,000 weekly readers of the Wealth Mastery Investor Report. So check it out. Now, let's talk about CBDCs, the ultimate form of slave money. And they are coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. CBDCs are scary, and basically every country is doing them. Now, this is about uh, Russia. Putin signs the digital ruble bill into law, priming the Russian CBDC for launch. If you don't live in Russia, you probably don't care. But it's coming everywhere. It's coming everywhere. Coming to a country near you soon. The Federal Reserve has launched a payment system called FedNow. Let's send money in seconds. It's not a CBDC, by the way, but it is setting the framework for a CBDC. Federal Reserve of San Francisco now hiring a crypto architect for a CBDC project. We know the Federal Reserve has been working on CBDC for a while. We know it's going to be coming. 100%. 100%. 
Right now, almost half the world's countries are working on a CBDC release or have already released a CBDC or are about to release a CBDC. China's already had a CBDC for a year, something like that. And it's done a lot of volume already, and it's just getting bigger all the time. CBDCs are here to stay, unfortunately. <sighs> yeah, you know, the reality of CBDCs and why we're talking about them in the same breath that we're talking about WorldCoin, because it's all part of the same Orwellian dystopian future that awaits us if we don't pursue better alternatives. Because if we leave everything up to the governments and the corporations, this is where we're going to end up. Not in a pretty place. It's already not a pretty place, technologically. We can make it better. We have the technological tools to make it better, but then instead of trying to build a better civilization for humanity, we all get distracted by hamster racing. That was the flavor du jour of uh, crypto in the last week or so. Don't know if you if you blinked, you missed that uh, pump and dump frenzy, but people were exploiting, exploiting poor, poor hamsters for racing. Anyway, Satoshi knew. Satoshi knew, which is why Satoshi built Bitcoin. And Bitcoin remains the strongest money in the world. The censorship resistance alone, you can send money to anyone, anywhere. Doesn't matter their politics, doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter their religion, doesn't matter what country they happen to live in. You can send or receive Bitcoin. Powerful stuff in a world of so much financial control where the elites love shutting people's bank accounts down, love telling you how much money you can or cannot send out of the country. It's crazy stuff. But CBDCs are here, and they're only going to get bigger. CBDCs mean no privacy for you. I remember the, was it the head of the Bank of International Settlements? I think it was him who was talking the other day about a $100 bill. He's like, this is a $100 bill. And this is a real problem because we can't trace this $100 bill. So when somebody buys something uses this $100 bill, we don't know what they bought. Yeah, and that's okay, government. You don't need to know every time that I buy whatever, man, if I'm buying a bottle of water or a, a corn magazine or some cigarettes or a bottle of vodka or a stuffed animal, it's none of your damn business. But they want to make it their business. They want to make it their business. And CBDCs will mean absolutely no privacy. Now, look, person to person, like if I send you $20 of CBDCs, you're not going to see what I have sitting in my CBDC account. Unlike with crypto, if I send you 20 bucks worth of Ethereum, you can look at my Ethereum address and go, ooh, what's Lark got in there? But the government will know. Oh, the government's going to know. You don't think the government's going to know? Oh, the government's going to know. I also need more censorship because CBDCs will have an on, on and off switch. You know, like USDC and USDT, they have an on and off switch. Now, they don't really use them outside of cases of like, hackers and stuff like this who've stolen money and they'll freeze those funds. But this will allow the government to basically censor anyone anytime. Oh, we saw what you said on Twitter yesterday. Your CBDCs are now locked for three days. We can't have you spreading that kind of disinformation. Oh, you're questioning the current uh, medical response to a certain uh, pandemic. Well, you know, you're not allowed to question that. So we're going to we're going to turn your money off for three days. This is the power of CBDCs and it's scary stuff. And it's a lot more quicker and more effective than them trying to, you know, 
shut your bank account down or something like this. They can just turn a switch off. It'll all be automated by AI probably. And they'll just monitor what you say online, monitor what you say in the privacy of your own home because the apps on your phone are listening to you. You ever notice how you talk about something with your friend and then you get online later and you see an ad pop up for that thing that you were talking about a half hour before? Yeah, it's because your phone's listening to you. This is going to be the same thing. CBDCs will take it to the next level. And if you don't think that's realistic or going to happen, let me introduce you to China and their social credit system because that is exactly what is happening. Behavior correction, um, making sure that you don't do certain things or you do do certain things. You'll get more points, better interest rates, better house mortgage rates if you conform. If you are doing certain antisocial things like saying the wrong things online or maybe you're partying a little bit too much at the weekend with your buddies or whatever it might be, eh, your score is going to go down a little bit. And of course, probably one of the scariest things is the expiry date of money because when you have a $100 bill, as long as a bug doesn't eat it or you don't burn it or lose it, you got a hundred bucks and a hundred dollar bill from 10 years ago is still worth a hundred bucks. Well, you know, it doesn't have the same purchasing power, but it's still worth the, the hundred bucks. You can still spend it with CBDCs. They can do something like, Hey, you have 90 days to spend your money after which it just becomes invalid and it gets returned to the state and we spend it. So you have 90 days to spend your money. So get out there and spend, 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 spend. Now, that's going to, of course, mean you can, well, you can put money into stocks or bonds or stuff like that. And maybe this will be part of the response to the failing U.S. dollar and the $33 trillion in debt. Hey, just make people's money expire. And then they have to invest it back in government bonds, which are going to go to zero eventually, and invest it back into the stock market and whatever else it might be. And of course, they're going to say all this stuff is for your security. We can't have criminals using dollars and, not, and us not knowing where that $100 bill went. And of course, it's for convenience. Well, everybody's going to be using CBDCs. We wanna, it's about financial inclusion for the most downtrodden in society. All this stuff. But we know these people are liars. We cannot trust them on CBDCs. We can't trust them on digital IDs either, unfortunately. And I don't trust Sam Altman and WorldCoin personally. Maybe I'll proven, be proven wrong about that. Maybe WorldCoin is going to be the digital ID solution that is preserving privacy and does all the great things we want it to. But considering how ChatGPT already has a lot of political censorship, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. <laughs>